0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, our text will be verses 12 to 18, which is the end of the chapter. Of course, the, the first portion of this first chapter really doesn't give a, a whole lot of joy or a whole lot of peace, a whole lot of hope apart from the Lord, but it is Solomon really looking at the human condition, looking at humanity, looking at life altogether. what does it mean? what's the purpose all of that and so we had talked about that, as Solomon had began this book, he began with. Vanity of vanity says the preacher vanity of vanities all is vanity it's it's we we talked about how this word can be it's it's empty it's futile it's meaningless it can also be referring to the the shortness of the time itself it's it's just such a short existence everything is it doesn't matter what you do as he goes into The work of men's hands, what does it all mean? What's the end result of it? Really nothing changes. A generation comes, a generation goes. There's really no meaning behind it, no value in it. We do the same things over and over, it's a repetitive life. And while a lot of that kind of language as we're going through that, it just it seems just so depressing. Like there's really nothing here. There's, I mean, what's the point of life? What's the purpose of it? And apart from the Lord, that's the whole thing that he's getting at. That apart from the Lord, everything is meaningless. It 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 is purposeless. It's, it's just a repetitive existence every day, doing the same things every day, and it not really making one uh, difference as far as the span of life, the direction that life takes us. And in our text tonight, he is, again, continuing from this, but he he does begin to speak of wisdom and of knowledge. Now, this is something that should be common for us, knowing Solomon, knowing that he is the wisest person to ever live, second to the Lord Jesus, and it's in this passage that we go over tonight that he begins to, to explore wisdom. What did wisdom show him? What, what things did he un- come to understand about life and the meaning of life and the value of life as he, has, as he has received all of this wisdom? And you have to understand that, that when we're talking about Solomon, we are talking about the wisest person in the world, second to the Lord Jesus. There was none like him. We'll go over some verses here in just a little bit of those passages of scriptures that really bring that out to us. But if you take the wisest person in the world, what did he figure out? What did he come to learn? What did all this knowledge bring to him? You You know, it's one of those things that we think to ourselves... That if we had more understanding of things. Or we had more knowledge of this. And we had more knowledge of that. That it would probably bring us more happiness to really figure things out. About life. And this is is something that humanity itself has, has sought after. Since the beginning. I mean you think of some of the guys that we were talking about last week. Some people will be remembered. The majority will not. But some of those that were remembered in history are some of the from a human standpoint from a worldly standpoint some of the great philosophers of the past why why were they known why are they known what what kind of a name did they make for themselves and they were seeking after wisdom they're lovers of wisdom they're lovers of knowledge they're trying to understand the world they're trying to figure it out, and people are, are flocking to them and flocking to their philosophies just to try to understand things to, to a better degree, thinking that if we understood things better, our lives would be better, society would be better, culture would be better. They follow these men and even philosophers of today. To seek to understand what is all of this about? Why are we here? What is our purpose? What is is our destiny? And they're they're tasked with giving the answers these philosophers are, which always end up falling short. They're always inadequate answers. Because somebody's going to come thereafter and either contradict what this one said... Or build upon it, showing that it was not sufficient. It's always striving after the wind, as Solomon will tell us. Trying to lay hold of something that is impossible to lay hold of. You think of two in particular. You, th- you think of Plato and you think of Aristotle. Aristotle being the student of Plato. And what does Aristotle do after He he becomes the guy. Well, he's contradicting a lot of things that his teacher just said. And people are looking now to him. They're hearing something different. And then somebody else comes along, and they're looking after them, trying to figure out the answers of life and the meaning of it all, thinking again that this will help us in, in, in the advancement of society or whatever. But what did Solomon figure out? Gaining all this knowledge that no one else would have. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. And really, in our text tonight, there are two particular reflections that Solomon brings out for us uh, that we will see in our text. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We will begin in verse 12 and read through the end of the chapter of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. Verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, sun, and behold... All is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realized That this also is striving after wind, because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we work our way through this passage tonight, that the Holy Spirit of God would give us a greater understanding and give us the ability to apply what we learn Father, we recognize that anything that we learn in your word, that it is only in the power of the Spirit that we can understand it as fully as we can and begin to set it in our lives. We pray that you would do a mighty work within us and help us to look unto Christ Jesus and to rejoice in him who has called us from darkness into his marvelous light. Do you be the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Now God's children said, Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so two reflections by Solomon in this passage. It really has a pattern to it. He gives a particular reflection, and then he sums it up with a proverb. He gives another reflection and sums it up with a proverb. Now we are talking about Solomon again. Because we don't want to just think so lightly of this again. There is none like Solomon. If you hold your place here in Ecclesiastes and turn with me to First Kings chapter 3, we'll look at just a few verses here just to get a, a better idea, a better understanding of the man who is writing this. So in 1 Kings chapter 3, <clears throat> we'll read verse 12 and then we'll jump to chapter 4. Excuse me, verses 11 and 12. We read that God said to him, "'Because you have asked this thing,' meaning wisdom, "'and have not asked for yourself long life, "'nor have asked riches for yourself, "'nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, "'but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. "'Behold, I have done according to your words. "'Behold, I have given you a wise and and discerning heart.'" So that there has been no one like you before, nor shall one like you arise after you. This is the words of God. In chapter 4, beginning in verse 29. Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind, like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east. And all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, Haman, Kalkal, and Darda, the sons of Mahal. And his fame was known in the, all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees, from the, cedars, from the cedar that is in Lebanon even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. And turn with me to chapter 10 of 1 Kings. And we will read verses 23 and 24. Again, listen to this language. This is language that is expressing to us the wisdom of Solomon in comparison to every other in existence. So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. All the earth was seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put in his heart. There's none like him before, there's none like him after. He's greater than the sons of the east, those of Egypt. Everybody's coming to Solomon to hear the words that he speaks. He speaks 3,000 proverbs. He speaks not just of, of certain, a certain area of life, but he's apparently fluent in everything. He speaks of animals. He speaks of all kinds of creeping things. He speaks of trees, everything. God gave him wisdom concerning all of life, at least from the human standpoint of things. This is a wise man, and this is probably towards the end of his life as he has looked over his life. He has thought about his reign in Jerusalem. As he talks about those who came before him, he was greater in wisdom than all of them. Now, we might scratch our head for a moment and say, well, he's only the third king. He had his dad, David, and then before him you had Saul. But if you also count all the judges that came before him, who judged Israel, there were none, none like him in Israel, none. So this is the wisest man, the wisest of all. And so he says, "I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my mind." To seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. And here's what he comes up with. He says, it is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. One translation of this is he's given a tragic affliction to afflict. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity striving after the wind. Now, what does this mean? A few things that we need to look at just to try to understand what he's talking about. And overall, what he is reflecting upon here is that reality never changes. That's what he's getting at. As he seeks to understand things of all that has been done under the sun, and he's seeking it by wisdom and knowledge, what he comes up with, which which is demonstrated by the proverb that he gives in verse 15, is that reality never changes. Nothing changes. Reality doesn't change. The human condition is the same. The world is the same. And he, he refers to this as a, it is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. Out of all the wisdom that he has been given, he looks over everything and it's striving after the wind. It's vanity. One writer says that God has ordained life That it should be a heavy burden for humanity and its striving, struggling, and chasing. That there is the difficulty of accepting things as they are. That even the highest wisdom that is given to man cannot change reality. It cannot change what we find. It cannot better society. If you think about even the most wise of all the ages apart from Solomon... What things were contributed to society to make it a peaceable society? It can't be done. Any culture is going to have its struggles. And have its pains and have its sufferings. There's no amount of wisdom that's going to change anything in reality. That's why he's, he's saying these words. I've seen all the works which have been done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity. That human wisdom cannot straighten out anything pertaining to life. Now, why can't it? Why can't we advance so far in order to make things better? To live peaceably and all this sort of thing that, that people come up with, this utopia that so many philosophers have sought after. You know, it's interesting that you always find, and especially in these sci-fi movies that you have, you know, the, the aliens or whatever, and they always have the same, the, the same description about them. They're far more advanced than we. As if being far more advanced is going to improve the human condition or to improve society as a whole. That's what they're seeking after. They, they grant it to a fictional society of aliens or whatever, but that's what they're after. And Solomon is saying here, nothing changes. nothing's going to change why it's the key to that is understanding that it is god that has given this affliction to the sons of men now if we hold our place there and just kind of be reminded here in romans chapter 8 what the scripture says <clears throat> and Romans chapter 8 we'll jump in verse 16 here excuse me verse 19 and here's what the apostle Paul says and again we're kind of jumping in here but listen to these words for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation right here or the creation, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now, in some of your Bibles, depending what translation you say, or that you have, it will say him with a capital H. Does yours have that? For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, right? And futility is one of the translations that you can, that you can translate that word vanity, vanity of vanities. It's, it's futility. Paul says that creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And this is putting this on as a, as a result of the Lord. And where did this happen? What are we talking about here? We're talking about that the human condition cannot change. Nothing is going to get better as far as the human condition itself. No advancement of wisdom is going to change anything. Because when man fell, God cursed man and creation. And man now strives after the wind. He strives to lay hold of something that is impossible to lay hold of apart from God. That's one reason why, as you hear R.C. Sproul talking about those that seem to have this, this longing for God or this searching out for God. And he says, as he's quoting Thomas Aquinas, that they're not searching for God and they're not desiring God. They're desiring only the benefits that God can give. And the benefits that only God can give is exactly what man has been seeking after, which is peace and harmony. And fellowship and all of those things and it cannot happen apart from God. And Solomon is looking over all of this and all of the wisdom that he has. And he sees all the pain and the suffering. And regardless of how much wisdom that he had to rule over Jerusalem, nothing changed. Nothing changed. Everything remained as it was. The human condition is the same. The human experience is the same. And that's why he, he says after reflecting upon that very thing that the highest human wisdom can't change reality. That's why he says what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. It's always striving after the wind. Man seeks something that he cannot have. And as he gains all this knowledge and we gain... You know, you think of the technology that we have today. So much technology compared to the time of Solomon. So much advancement in the last 50 years or so, give or take. And what has it done for society as far as bringing about peace and harmony and all that? Nothing. And in fact, if you look... The more wisdom that has been gained and the more advancements that have been put out, you think of social media. That's a pretty amazing thing. I can type something over here and you see it over there. I can put up a video over here of me and you can see it in another state or around the world. And what does it do? It causes even more strife and disunity and anger and resentment the antithesis of harmony is the result of the greater wisdom that has been in our, in our day you, know, you think of there was this quote here by Stephen Hawking that I just found very interesting of how delusional that man can be as well concerning the human experience and all of that And we'll get to that, but Stephen Hawking, the famed physicist, here's what he says. He says, we are just an advanced breed of monkeys on a minor planet of a very average star. But we can understand the universe. That's his assessment of everything. And really, the scriptures give us quite the opposite and that's what we're seeing according to solomon man de- de- deceives himself to think that he can understand the universe and that things are going to get better through the advancement of knowledge but with, but solomon is saying no nothing is going to change so don't put your hope there because it's not going to change anything concerning the human experience concerning life And that's where he's ending that. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. A little proverb there. So then he goes into the next reflection. He's setting his mind, again, to explore by wisdom concerning the things which have been done under the sun. So here's his second reflection. And his second reflection is is that wisdom can increase sorrow. That's what he sums up with his... Next proverb in verse 18, he says, I said to myself, behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. That's including his father, David. That's including Saul. That's including all the judges. That's including everyone. And we read those passages in first Kings, which describes again, his wisdom in, in comparison to any other in existence. And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I realized that this also is striving after the wind. Now, he's saying some very interesting things there. That he has set his mind to understand uh, wisdom, madness. Madness. Folly? What's he he referring to there? Wisdom we understand. And he's not denouncing wisdom by any means because it's by wisdom that he understood what he just said in the previous verses. So he's not saying that wisdom is useless, otherwise he's contradicting himself. And actually our opening passage of Scripture uh, describing wisdom, that wisdom is available. You come. As as it was said in Proverbs nine, so he's not he's not diminishing wisdom or any of that as he is saying these things, <clears throat> but he set his mind to know wisdom and to know madness, and this carries the connotation of, of boastful arrogance that is set against the Lord and folly. Um, folly is the antithesis of wisdom. It really brings about uh, or brings to mind really the character of a fool. And when we think of the character of a fool as the scripture tells us that the fool says in his heart there is no god. And so Solomon is saying I'm contemplating, I'm setting my mind to understand these things and the words that he is using here rather than the language is that he's setting to understand these things from a human standpoint apart from God. That is the idea. My mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I realized that this also is striving after the wind. That was his assessment. That's, that's the results that he's coming to. That even though he is understanding all the tragic truths of humanity, he's seeing too that wisdom cannot undo what has been done no matter what's discovered or advanced, there are still no answers from a human standpoint of any of the questions of life that wisdom seeks after. Why are we here? Why do we exist? Where are we going? None of these things can be answered. None of these, no wisdom is going to, to help us Understand the totality of, of life. And he says that as he does so, and he's looking from this point of view to understand madness and folly, he realizes that it's striving after the wind. And then he says, because in much wisdom, there is much grief. And increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Now, how is that possible? We understand wisdom is not useless. It's led him to reflect upon what he said previously. But one thing that wisdom, the gaining of wisdom and the gaining of knowledge does do is to remove any illusions to the reality of life. That the more that you come to understand the more sorrow that it can cause in your life apart from God. Remember that. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about apart from God. That's why if we were some of the ones that we had talked about last week, that's why when you have these philosophers who are trying to seek out the answers of everything and they realize I don't have any. I don't have any answers. I can't tell you why we're here. I can't give you any, any of those, the, those answers that our heart longs to know, I don't have it. That's why they fall into despair. That's why, as we were talking about last week, that you have philosophers that say things like, in the end, man is nothing more than a useless passion. The fact that we exist is absurd. Why do they come to those conclusions? because apart from God there's, there's no meaning there's no value seeking after wisdom of the, of the reality of life leads you to that it leads you to despair there's nothing to look forward to there's nothing that encourages us to get up every day there's nothing that encourages us to do anything because what is the meaning of it all? It's all vanity of vanities. It's striving after the wind. There's nothing more to say when you get to that point. What more can you come up with? What other wisdom can you achieve that's going to give you a different outcome of the reality of life? And that is one reason why you see that there are a lot of unbelievers who don't want to hear anything about the Christian position of life because one, they don't believe in God and they choose to believe a lie because they don't want to know the truth. That's why the scriptures tell us in Romans one that they suppress the truth and unrighteousness because they don't want to know. Because knowing the reality of things only brings despair and sorrow to them. That's why they just don't want to know. <clears throat> I was reading in uh, one of the commentaries. There was a a guy, I think, I can't remember if he was earlier part of the 20th century. I'd had to look it up again. Um, but he... Uh, he is autistic, or he was autistic. And he set a record, uh, I think in Britain, um, for, for he, he didn't make any mistakes when he was quoting the number of pi. He didn't just start at, he stop at 3.142, as many of us do. But he kept it going on for 22,000 characters or whatever it was. And... He was very smart, obviously, to be able to do something like that. He, would, he, he learned uh, the language of, of, of Iceland in like a week. I mean, he's that smart. And then he was, te- he was saying this, that he, he had laid down on the floor, he's looking up at the ceiling, and he's allowing his mind to just try to understand the universe. To go to the deepest recesses of space that his mind could take him. And when he got there, he said it it made him sick. And it actually made him physically sick. Because what was the end of, of his journey? Nothing. And that's where earthly wisdom leads. To greater sorrow, increasing pain despair because again there's nothing what is it that we want to know I mean when you're watching any of these movies or you're reading books you're reading philosophers it's all after the same thing wanting to have purpose and meaning and value and to know our destiny and all of this stuff because man desires to know but what Solomon is saying madness and folly is striving after the wind again trying to lay hold of something that is impossible to lay hold of and this is the human condition this is the human experience and this is the wisest man of all all his increased wisdom who comes to this conclusion. And his conclusion is demonstrated to be true as you have so many philosophers that come after him that come up with nothing. Maybe they can talk a good talk. They can sound great. Maybe they they know how to reach people and they know how to grab a hold of people. I remember... Uh, R.C. Sproul was talking about how he had, uh, in his philosophy class that he was teaching, that he would kind of play a trick on the students. And they thought he was really saying something profound, but it was just nonsense. But it was because of the way he was saying it that they're like, this must be something very important. What is he saying? What's the meaning of this? And all he would say is, this piece of chalk is not. But the way that he said it, it captured the attention of his students, and they're like, I wonder what that means. And it's nonsense. But it was able to capture their minds. And people are good at that. But then, if you walk away beginning to contemplate on what they've said, what do you come up with? Nothing. We have nothing. Like Alistair Begg said, what do you got for me? I got nothing. That's the answer. This is only true, though, apart from the Lord. Because if you think about what Paul says, especially concerning the wisdom of God, not just Paul, though, I don't want to just limit it to him, but when you're reading the Proverbs and you're seeing the beauty of of wisdom itself, Wisdom can be uh, achieved, it can be retained, it can be applied. It's wisdom that God has given that makes foolish the wisdom of man. But it's only found in Christ and that's why Paul says, in Him is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And notice the wording that Paul uses when he says it. He says that it's in Christ that you have all the treasures which... That word should, should promote in something in us that he's, he's talking about something that is to be desired here. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him, in Christ. Now what does that mean? That means the answers to everything are found in him. As God has subjected creation to futility because of the fall, because of the curse and the experience of man is the same, nothing changes the more that man comes to understand apart from God, the more sorrowful that he gets, except for those that God has brought to himself and, give them, and gives them the mind of Christ, as Paul says, too. And they recognize that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. All the answers of everything that I desire to know are found in him. Where did I come from? I'm a creation of God. You're a creation of God. What is our value? That you're an image bearer of God. That's where my identity is. That's where my meaning is. That's where my value is. It's all found in him. And that he has set me on a path as he has written his law in my heart. And he gives us the written word of God that I have a true understanding of what society could be. Because we have an objective foundation to understand what is truly right and what is truly wrong. And so we can have that picture in our minds. What is it that is necessary to have that perfect utopia that everybody desires after? And it can only be in the converting power of the Holy Spirit to give us the mind of Christ. To put his law in our hearts that we all follow it. And that ain't going to happen until the new heavens and the new earth. But it will be achieved. And that's our destiny. That's where we're going. The destiny of man is determined by the Lord. It's not something that is a shot in the dark. It is the Lord who has determined the destiny of every single person in existence. And that is where he is moving us towards. And so we, can, we have meaning in this life and we see the value of this life. We see the gift of this life. And life is truly a gift. It's not a gift just because you think to yourself, well, I only have one time around, so I better make it good. It is a gift because a holy God has created you to be in this place at this time to do this very task in His name for His glory that He will reward you with later on in eternity of things that you really didn't accomplish on your own, but He's going to reward you anyway. And so there is meaning and there's purpose and there's value in everything that we do because we see that it's not striving after the wind. Everything that God has set His people to do has purpose. Has eternal value. And we can see all of this through eyes of faith that have been granted to us. Through the Holy Spirit of God who gives us the mind of Christ. I understand. We can understand. Why things are the way that they are. Why is there suffering in the world? Why is there pain in the world? Why are there evil people in the world? Why can nations not get along? Why is there death? And we understand why. We get it. And we understand it because God has given us His Word to understand these very things that we're seeing through the lens of the Scripture. We understand because of the scripture and the Holy Spirit giving us understanding. So for the believer, the very things that we are talking about are not true of the believer. It's almost as if you could almost put in there like like the first psalm. how The first psalm describes the, the, the righteous and all that the righteous does. And then you have that emphatic language that is in the Hebrew when it gets contrasting to the wicked and he says not so, the wicked and when you think about all of the blessings that we have in Christ because in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and you get to what Solomon's saying here and what is Solomon saying here not so, the wicked do you realize that even quoting a man like Stephen Hawking, as brilliant as he was, from a human standpoint that for those that are in Christ are more wise than this famed physicist because they can understand all of life much more than what he could his assessment of life is we're advanced monkeys what the scriptures tell us is no you're a creative act of God You're an image bearer of God. Your identity is found in Christ, not in what you do. These are things that that should really help guard us. And help guard us from the allurements and the enticements of the world itself. Because it seems as sometimes that the world can say something or the world can present something. And you think to yourself wow, that is so neat, that is so nice, if only I had that as well, because those are the things that the the unbelieving seek after. They seek after everything that they can just to try to have peace in this life and everything else. They're they're always trying to, to gain. They're always trying to come up with new things to better life, whether it's to, new ways to make more money or... Be debt-free sooner, (laughs) lose weight faster, have an overall better health. They always come up with new things that can make you happy. And there's so many more than that. Those are just some that you just begin to think of. And you think to yourself, yeah, if I had that, I would be more happy. But if we read the the words of, of Solomon here, not so. The things of the world. They're not going to bring you what you desire. Because what you desire is only found in the Lord. That's why if you are satisfied in Him. And you're striving to be satisfied in Him. That you're not going to be lured out with other enticements. That will tell you that you can be more happier over here. No, my happiness is found in Him. That's why... That's why the Apostle Paul could be content in whatever state that he was in, whether he had or whether he didn't. It didn't matter because his happiness, his joy, his peace, his hope, everything that he desired was found in the Lord. And if we can also do that, just to to say this as well, the more that we can be satisfied in him, the more that the Spirit of God will help us to overcome the various sins that we struggle with. Not to extinguish them, we're always probably going to battle with them. But the more that the Spirit works in our hearts to be more satisfied in Him, that's where our source of joy and satisfaction and pleasure and everything else will be found to keep us and guard us. So, what is it in your own life then that you think will bring you happiness? And do you recognize the truth of what Solomon is saying here That it's not going to be found anywhere else. If you seek to try to find it elsewhere. The joy of life and all that comes thereafter. If you're seeking to find it somewhere else, you're going to be disappointed. That's what he's saying here. You will be disappointed. And you'll be striving after the wind. So instead of continually deceiving yourself like... I didn't get it that last time, but if I try again, and we keep telling ourselves that, if I try again, if I try again, and the answer is going to be the same. The result is going to be the same. Dear friends, you have the privilege of knowing the living God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater gift and there is no greater treasure than Him. And that's what we have to remind ourselves, especially when we're being lured out. Remind yourself, no, my greatest treasure is Christ. He's my source of joy. Everything that I desire is him. I need to remind myself of these things. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself in the same situation that Solomon found himself in throughout a portion of his life. He's following after other gods because he allowed himself to be lured out, even having all the wisdom that he did. Because he sought to find his pleasure and joy and peace and everything else in something other than God himself. In him, in Christ, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. So then let your seeking and your striving and your struggling and everything else that we experience in this life be towards Him. Striving to lay hold of Him, to lay hold of that which laid hold of you. To run your race, not towards something else, but towards Him. Always keeping your eyes on Him, because He's your source of joy, peace, hope, pleasure, everything. Let us us remember these truths. Uh, from the wisest man of all, Solomon himself. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, thank you for this portion of your word. Thank you for all that it teaches us. Thank you, Father, that truly, in Christ, we have the greatest treasure. Because it is in him that we have the privilege of knowing you, of being loved by you, of having peace with you, Having a life to look forward to when you call us home where we struggle no more. But that we will only know that peace and joy that we are privileged to experience here, but to know fully there. Thank you for the great hope that we have in Christ. And Father, remind us of these truths because we need to be reminded. We need a daily reminder uh, that, that we don't be lured out, that we're not tempted find satisfaction in something other than Christ. There are so many enticements so many temptations Father help us guard us keep us close to you give us the understanding to see the way of escape in any temptation and remind us once again of the great joy of having Christ Jesus as our Lord our Savior, thank you for all that he did and remind us of that continually. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your attention and you are dismissed.